This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Fetisy. I'm Bridget Fetisy, and you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You know the drill. Please subscribe, rate, comment, share, reach out, tell your friends, send smoke signals, whatever. We love your feedback and we want to hear from you. Our sponsor this week is BridgetFetacy.com, a lovely place for all fetacy-related merch. This week, we have Michael Malice on the show. He's the author of The New Right and Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il and the subject of Harvey Pekar's graphic novel, Ego and Hubris. He frequently appears as a commentator on various television programs and podcasts. He currently hosts both Nightshade at Compound Media and You're Welcome at the Gas Digital Network. Michael is hilarious. We had a great time. He's a slippery little sucker, and I love him. So buckle up, kids. Enjoy the ride. I'm with Michael Malice, everybody. Yes. My audience is very excited that you're here. Is that true? Yeah. They were definitely, everyone was like, oh my God, I can't wait. And somebody had a question okay. that they wanted me to ask you. Okay. We I can get to like, that at the end. I don't like interacting with the plebs, but that's okay. <laughs> the, the non-blue check? Yeah, yeah. I always interact with the non-blues. Okay. <laughs> I, I always see you saying that on your Twitter, it's, though. It's the truth. Hashtag real facts. It's a real fact. So tell us a little bit about who you are for those of those of the audience that don't know. Well, I'm editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire. Previously, <laughs> I was at Breitbart until Michelle Fields got almost murdered by Corey Lewandowski. Uh, no, I am... I don't know. I'm. The new book is called The New Right. Uh, my last book was called Dear Reader, which is about North Korea. I'm... Uh, I hate the word. People ask me, uh, media personality. Okay. Is that what we are? Aren't we? I guess. I don't even know what I am. Someone at the airport recently asked me what I was, and I said, um, and he's like, well, if it's a hard question, don't yeah. you don't need to answer it. No, you should say, am I being detained? <laughs> That's what I would say. Am I being detained? Am I free to go? <laughs> I just said, I, I t I've been talking, and then people keep <laughs> hey, asking hey. me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's it's really true though it's, it's a good work if you could get it like okay i'm completely ill-informed we, but we could sit here and talk and for some reason people contribute to my patreon and they're like here's some super chats go buy a giraffe wallet i'm like all right you want me to be an asshole on twitter it's kind of my core competency <laughs> here's my here's some free stuff yeah. here's a microphone yeah <laughs> keep going all right i guess <laughs> you i don't think this is gonna go off the rails yeah, yeah. <laughs> bitches be texting i guess <laughs> <laughs> people are sliding into my dms i don't uh, see Blue i have checks. my trick with the dms is you have it set where it's like quality control oh so half the dms i don't even see oh yeah i have that i don't have mine open anymore because okay. now that i'm a nazi no but i have it open <laughs> so then it's like a roach motel because the people you don't want to talk to will dm you thinking they're getting to you oh yeah but I you see never that. see it i don't think the non-blues know that there's a whole verified column we've said too much <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole column where yeah. sometimes like neon taster will get mad at me for for not <laughs> responding or like something you know? blue. like I, I, you sorry think you're I, not verified I don't, you, you, I don't see you in the special column yeah <laughs> mr slot bucket listen joe six pack we don't have time for this shit <laughs> can i curse uh, yeah okay. yeah it, we're on a conservative platform but they're okay. used to me oh, now. It's ricochet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i love you guys i love ricochet yeah 
they're kind of used to me. They they took a lot of crap at first, but I think now I, I'm just their weird little outlier. Well, maybe you haven't checked your DMs. <laughs> You've been fired six months ago, and you've just been making this podcast and no, uploading, and it goes nowhere because you're fired. Yeah, it's just in the cloud somewhere. Yeah. It's not even connected. I'm not getting much engagement at least of late. Where did my advertisers go? So tell us what inspired you to write your book and what it's about. What is the new right? The definition. Okay, I gave it to you in the kitchen. I know, no but you need to give it. You need to give it to the audience. Yeah, baby, now. you like that? Give it. To okay, them. I, I, I'm gonna wing it. It's what I'm about to say is gonna be a little bit off. What's in the book is the correct answer. The new right is a loosely co- connected group of individuals united by their opposition to progressivism, which they perceive to be a thinly veiled fundamentalist religion based on egalitarian principles, dedicated to world domination via globalist hegemony. Okay. And are you a member of the new right? No, I don't think so. Well, it depends. I only call myself an anarchist, right? Okay. An anarchist without adjectives. And what I found, and you found this too as well, I'm mm-hmm. sure, in social media, people like ascribing labels to you. Yeah. And then you argue, it's like, well, as an anarchist, you should blah, 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 blah. So it's like if you say, well, as a member of the new right, you should blah, 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 blah. Don't tell me should. Yeah. And if you want to say I'm a member of the new right, that's fine. If you want to say I'm this, that's fine too. I'm not arguing with you. Yeah. I, my therapist says that they're shutting on you. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, I like that. She's like, you shouldn't shut on people. Yeah. You should talk more about X. Why? Oh, I hate that. Why? I Who hate that. I know you. Somebody the other day was, they were going after Christine Hoff Summers because I love her. they Googled. She was, she's this week's guest. Well, she better start following me. I, I'll, I'll put a word in for yeah. you. She, somebody Googled her name and then it came up that she had never mentioned abortion and it was during the abortion debate okay. and they said you can't call yourself a feminist and not talk about abortion watch me <laughs> isn't the definition of feminism being able to choose whatever the fuck you want to talk about isn't yeah. that isn't that like part of feminism if your definition of feminism is wearing blue shoes you can call yourself a feminist you I, don't get to tell someone what they could call themselves i think feminism is just the right to choose you know the freedom to choose <laughs> what sure. what you want to do yeah that's and a good not, definition not be policed by people yeah. telling you that you should be talking about it's, something it's, it's or amazing. shouldn't yeah so there's that we, uh, somebody called me a cunt because I wasn't talking about um, they're like, I see you interacting with Ben Shapiro and all of these other Jews. And how dare you not talk about the Palestinian Israeli um, conflict? I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I get that, too. What? They're like, as a Jew, why are you talking more about Israel? Because like, I don't really care and I don't know. How can you? I'm like, all right, block. <laughs> I'm like, why? I'm like, it's important as a public figure or whatever to talk about things you're informed about. Right. So even if we have opinions about certain things, let's suppose abortion, if I'm not informed, it's incumbent on me to shut my mouth. Right. I feel the same way, which is why there's a lot of stuff I don't talk about <laughs> yeah. publicly. I don't know. I can. And have... there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Yeah. It's funny because I feel very comfortable with not knowing, but I feel like that makes the general public un- very uneasy. Yes. When you admit you're like, I don't know. Yeah. So what inspired you to write about the new new right? Well, I knew I, I was seeing this movement bubble up from the, you know, from its inception. From the get. Yeah. Yep. And I knew someone was going to write this book. So I figured it might as well be someone who understands the scene intimately from the beginning. Mm. And is it going to give it the spin that you'd get from like a New York Times reporter where it's right. going to be like, this is all a group of Nazis. That's not a book. That's a sentence. Right. So it's such any subculture punk scene. 
the pop art movement. You want, if you want to understand it, especially something that's affecting our culture and politics so much as the new right has, which got one of the big symptoms is Trump became president. Mm-hmm. If you want to understand it, you want to read about people who are traveled in it and who know everybody and, and who watched it develop as opposed to someone whose job is to stigmatize and dismiss. Mm-hmm. How are you going to dismiss a movement that captured the White House? Mm-hmm. This is not possible. Mm-hmm. How, how did you see it i like how do you know about all of the people and and know see it from the ground up i was part of something called one of the big elements of this group because again the only thing that unites them is their opposition to progressivism right within it there's groups that hate each other and have no common so is the idw technically part of the members of it this is very adjacent right okay dependent individual members but that yeah any kind of unorthodox right-wing thought would apply to this right okay so I was on something called the troll board on Facebook, right? And mm-hmm. the rule of troll board is don't take troll board off a troll board. So all the trolls are faux mad at me now because I'm taking troll board off troll board. But a lot of these guys started falling into what at the time was called neo-reaction or the dark enlightenment. And me being a student of pop culture and being like a Camille Paglia type and Andy Warhol type, I knew how culture changes, which is it comes from the margins, then the cool people kind of adopt it, then the corporations take it over, appropriate and excrete it for the mass and make it palatable, right? Mm. So I'm like, okay, all the intellectual momentum in the right and all the new ideas, some of which are pernicious, are coming from this scene. Right. So I knew this was going to develop to something. And I remember I was at Fox and I told some, a, a host, I go, this was like in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. These are the people that are going to be coming for you next year. Uh, and they looked at me like they had no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it, that, and then a, a year later, you know, it, it, all this started happening. So yeah. I was glad that I had the foresight to see that this is going to develop into something. And and that's why so many of the sorry to interrupt you no, so many the, so many of the media accounts are like oh this came out of nowhere it's like it came out of nowhere because you're you're stuck in your cathedral talking to each other right and you have no idea where innovative ideas come from you just think they show up at your hot topic you know what I mean right. it's like it got to that hot topic through a very long process and the best example of this not joking is the Miranda Priestly speech in Devil Wears Prada where she makes the point that that blue sweater that you thought you picked out at the store mm-hmm. was actually pre-selected for you by the people who run this magazine. And then it percolates down. You watch that speech and you will get an idea of the new rights idea of culture. Mm. And what is their idea of culture? Basically, the Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart, mm-hmm. had that great quote of politics is downstream from culture. Yeah, yeah. So the thing that conservatives often get completely wrong is by the time you're fighting the battle in Washington, given that it's the universe, too it's too late. You've already lost. You've already yeah, lost. Because, because the culture isn't mentally prepared. Correct. Yeah. So it, Washington, and the thing is the difference in conservatives and you right. Uh, my editor asked this, like, what does the new right think about Obama? The Heritage Foundation thinks about Obama. Obama is a symptom because if it wasn't for Obama, there'd be 30 People easily to take his place who would do the same job that he did. The point is you have to focus on how culture is created, which is the universities and uh, uh, media and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then politics is the last step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is why the budget always increases. This is why they're always like, oh, these aren't real Republicans. It's like at what point do you realize the, what you think as the way to solve this issue isn't working? How much data do conservatives who, tr- who supposedly look at what has worked in the past and apply it to work in the future at what point do you realize wait a minute this our approach something's not adding up and i think now increasingly they are being like wait a minute like something's not quite right kirk schlichter who i'm sure you follow also on twitter who i adore is a great example of this he's like wait a minute now i get it like it was just this it's what they call the red pill moment right 
And it's all about the new rules, essentially, right. where they're playing. And realizing that these is all, the thing is realizing these had always been the rules. Right. It's interesting because as somebody who really just came to in 2016, <laughs> in the midst of all of this, sure. I didn't, I hadn't really been paying. I always say I was drunk until 2013. I got sober and then I kind of accidentally tweeted my way into the center of the culture wars. Sure. But I was just saying things that felt like common sense and right. didn't realize there was this whole ideology that had started in that, in academia and then had trickled up into, I would experience a lot of backlash kind of when I was at Playboy sure. from people that I thought, and I was talking about this with Christina Hoff Summers. I like stumbled into it blindly. I wasn't really online. I was, I was like, where the hell have I been? And so when I, I didn't realize there was this, <laughs> the, the whole war was going on. And from my perspective, the right is winning the culture war. Uh, uh, well, the, the reason – this is why I disagree with you. Uh, and I only okay. say that, only that the, – maybe they're not winning it yet, but that the tide is turning. Yes, that's different. And I only say this because I'm seeing more totalitarian-like tactics on the left in order to maintain their power on the culture. So their mask is slipping. Right. And the, what I would point out to you that you know how the right isn't winning because the fact that you – could have been oblivious to the fact it's a war shows how much they were in control because think the how left. the left yeah think I had how, no idea. think how powerful <laughs> you'd have to be to have it where someone is in the middle of war and they can and live have their, no idea and have no idea i had no idea because it was everything that i breathed and being right. in la so that's the concept that this guy named manchester Mulbug invented that's in this book called the cathedral mm. which means it's uh, the red pill from the documentary The Matrix, right. right? Once you take the red pill, you realize what you see around you that is true mm -hmm. is actually a very carefully constructed narrative. Right. And it's constructed by the universities, the entertainment industry, and the media. And it's pervasive. Right. And it's, the, it's this joke about two fish are in a river, and one fish says to the other one, oh, the water's warm today, and the other one goes, what's water? Right, right. Because we're oblivious. So when you're inside this cathedral, yeah. you are completely oblivious that this is something that has been done to kind of control your perception of everything. And once you say what you think is common sense, the completely disproportionate reaction is like, oh, I've been <laughs> shot at, or I've been living in a prison, or Plato's cave. Yeah. And this is not normal. And then right. once you take that one red pill, you can't unsee it. No, no. And then the reaction gets even more extreme if you're an essentially uh, apostasy is much more punished. And this is true coming from the right. I see this with the never Trumpers sure. coming from their party. If but they're you, leftists, never Trumpers. They're, oh. they're essentially progressives. Okay. I, I don't I don't know enough, I guess, about it, but they they, they still have conservative principles. Though, conservatism don't they? is progressivism driving the speed limit. And I talk about this in the book. Basically, okay. uh, everything conservatives fight for are what progressives fought for 20 years ago. The National Review just had an article about the conservative case for gay marriage. I'm for gay marriage. The point is, you were against it 20 years ago. Now you're for it. Which principle of yours changed mm -hmm. other than just accommodating what the left has uh, conquered? National Review's slogan is standing athwart history, yelling stop, right? Mm -hmm. What the new, the new right wants to do is like, they don't want to yell. They actually want to stop it. Mm -hmm. And it's their, the motto that the National Review chose themselves is a motto of impotence in the face of progressive totalitarianism. Okay. And so 
I still... You, you know what it's like? It's like a girlfriend seeing her boyfriend fight another guy and she's just yelling, stop. You're not affecting change. You're just being annoying right. and thinking you're making a difference. I see. Stop, Ron. Stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. Shut up. Right. <laughs> I I guess there, I still feel like the... It still seems like, well, maybe then I'm a conservative. Are you? I don't I don't think so, but I think that that's what I get accused of by the left all the time is that really anybody who's been red-pilled is really just somebody who is never actually progressive. Well, I think once you've been red-pilled, you're not going to be a conservative. Conservatives, I think, are blue-pilled. Okay. I think red-pilled is when you realize, wait a minute, this this is far more than, oh, you know, let's disagree about marginal tax cuts. It's like this is actually a war. Yeah. And, and I do think that apostates do are punished more harshly than infidels. Of course. So when you are somebody like myself who comes from the the left, and Ruben, I see is experiencing sure. this. I I mean, they, the, I've been reading these articles about Ruben. What Ruben the the way that they talk about Ruben is insane. He, <laughs> they basically. It's not insane. It's got a reason behind it. It's what, how. It's out of proportion. Yeah, it's complete. But it's funny because my cousin is German and she's like, you guys don't have a left in America. I mean, maybe now we do more than ever, but she, hope, no. No, I want this. I love this. Stuff. Um, she, I'm she playing with Bridget's dog. And it's hope is interrupting. Day. Is she a boxer? Yeah. Oh, look at you. You're so cute. Mom, I want to play with my new friend. Yeah, she does. Um, Sorry, I'm a dog freak. No, it's fine. No, I'm she sorry loves to, the, the audience. I apologize to the audience. No. <laughs> I can't remember what I was You're saying. You're talking about the German friends. Oh, yeah, no my cousin. She, she's like, you guys don't have a left. You're not even close to left in America. She said our, our left is basically like their center right. Well, maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I, we've had a working country for a lot longer than they have, so maybe she should keep her mouth shut. Okay? I just think that in socialist... They didn't have a left either because they killed them all. Okay, so let, let's take that crap down a notch, huh? <laughs> maybe now that we're more socialist, uh, open to socialism, it's more... It's gone farther No, left. what she's wrong is, and what what the white nationalists get wrong, is progressivism is a left-wing ideology, and it's very uniquely American. Mm. Uh, and a lot of times conservatives will think like, oh, it's, this is a foreign idea. William Jennings Bryan, Woodrow Wilson, these people were as American as apple pie, which apparently is actually German. Um, <laughs> so there is a very uniquely American style of leftism. So she's right. There is no American left in the sense of a Marxist I mean, heavy left is certainly nowadays. I mean, it might be influenced by Marxism, but not, you know, in the European sense. But we have a very long history of a very strident uh, left wing. Go and, and I talk about this in the book going back. So conservatives like to think, oh, uh, one of the essential mindsets of conservatism is this idea that like things are bad now, but they used to be better at some golden age in the past. Right. And when they ask them. When was Hollywood not left? When was the culture not left? They don't really have an answer because they will admit the 1930s when literal communists taking order from Moscow were running Hollywood. 1910s when Woodrow Wilson is putting uh, Eugene V. Debs in jail for opposing the war and having the corporate state take over America. This has been going on from the beginning in the universities as discussed in my book. It started in the 1890s when people mm. went to Germany and they looked at how the, you know, the Prussian ideal of, of – 
engineering a country from the top down, having this elite. And this is what the universities start to do. So this has been a very long time coming. And I think one of the important things for this book is to give conservatives this sense of history to realize this isn't new. These people have been at it for a very long time. And only now are you to some extent realizing how pernicious and pervasive this uh, control has been. I feel like I went down a really dark rabbit hole yesterday online that was a video about <laughs> some of this that you're talking about, okay. but it was from the left and it was how the how the right views. It was basically the idea of cultural Marxism yeah. and it came the from the Frankfurt School, the Frankfurt School, right. but how this is really like a white supremacist. Yeah, yeah, this is a very boomer kind of. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> so this is uh, the Frankfurt School world Jewish. So this is a Jewish thing. Right. Yeah. And I fell asleep watching it, but <laughs> <laughs> did they win? Was that? How did, that, did, they, did we win? What's that? Oh, Hope, I, come here. <laughs> because it is interesting to kind of wake up in the middle of this and be so confused. And I think one of the things I get constantly criticized of, of is being of carrying water for Nazis. Okay. I hear this at your, least once a day. Your dog is pretty white. She's definitely <laughs> a white power dog. Yeah. I know. That's a good <laughs> face. She is. She's, she's a white boxer. Yeah. And I not knowing enough about the culture wars and being constantly filled with self doubt. I'm, I'm like, like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am like, am I but carrying you, when, water for Nazis? When we're at a point where Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin are, blithely referred to as Nazis, you realize, I mean, there's no talking to these people. Yeah. That's that's where... Not, I mean, Nazism is so pervasive that even Ben Shapiro's a Nazi. I mean, I that's know. how powerful it is. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. And that is where I start... I feel like I get lost in being... I fell into the... <laughs> The thing is, it's hard to be in America like an accidental Nazi. Like, I feel yeah. Nazi <laughs> takes some, a real commitment. Maybe in like the 30s in Germany, it's kind of easy. It's like, yeah, 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 I love Hitler. Now it's like, you're really going to have to work at it because it's going to be pretty expensive socially. So if you're kind of like, am I? Okay, but they're saying carrying water. I, I mean, I think Nazis can get water in America. You don't need I, someone to carry for them. I didn't realize too, again, this is just my ignorance. I, I stumbled into a lot of trouble with my white supremacist talk one day when i was tweeting about the gq cover oh, okay of the young the jq no is or is esquire they put the young white dude on the cover oh yeah yeah and i said and i <laughs> had that coffee it was probably six thirty in the morning and i was like i'm not i'm not def getting into this they were all going after the teen and then I said something about the war on white men, and they were like, the, you're basically a member of the Klan. Yeah. They, were, they were calling me the Grand Wizard. <laughs> and, Pretty cool. And like, Wizardry is awesome. <laughs> Maybe there was a Harry Potter reference. They came for me. <laughs> it was a lot of mentions about what garbage I was and a lot of blue checks and a lot of me being like upholding white power. And I just stumbled. I was like, oh, I should probably just like Homer Simpson. Yeah, yeah, the bushes. Yeah, yeah. My way out of this and it was a learning moment it was a teaching a teachable moment because i also just don't know what the language i don't know i i sometimes don't know when i'm using language that's language used by white sure but also when i'm also just talking freely about when i'm just making an observation about right, the right the culture at large because from my perspective writing for men and i think there's a war on men in general sure not white or or any color but the male species seems to be under attack a little bit and i'll make these kind of throwaway comments and forget that you know 
there's a, a bad faith interpretation of them immediately. Yeah, and they will never let you forget that. Oh, they, no. They, their job is to make sure you stay in line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I mean, this is what makes it a kind of fundamentalist creed. Anyone who is a sinner, they have to be made an example of because yeah. you have a big following. You are a blue check. And now I'm the guy who has a job who's listening to the show. If this is what's going to happen to Bridget, who's kind of independent, you know, self-employed. Yeah, doesn't have anything to lose. Right. Th- what are they going to do to me right. and my family? So this is a very effective mechanism of social control it's- by design. Right. How do you, what in your opinion do you have in your book? And I'm excited for it to come tomorrow. And to apologies to Bridget, uh, I, that I didn't get her a copy. St. Mar- right. Martin's gave me three. Oh, <laughs> they're so generous. Yeah. Um, I think there's more in the way. They or they, But the, yeah, I'll get them at some point. I'm excited. So do you think that there is any kind of, is it just all out war? Is it, Are we just at war now? Or is there Hopefully. some kind of solution? How do you combat the mob shamings sure. and the people coming for your jobs. and Sure. There's different mechanisms. This is when I say that the new right is united by their opposition to progressivism. <laughs> there is no remotely close to consensus about how to stop this. Mm-hmm. So here are some schools of thought, and none of which you'll see agree with each other. One is the accelerate uh, um, and amplify strategy, which is you want to add fuel to the fire and encourage the craziness in the hopes that it's going to collapse and implode. Then there's a technological... Uh, is that like the Bannon school of thought? <laughs> uh, no, I think this is much more right-wing than Bannon. Much oh, okay. more like really kind of, yeah. Um, like alt, the alt-right? Or- I don't know about alt-right, but so much... There's a certain kind of mindset. I don't know if I even have a label for this okay. kind of group. The, then there would be the technological approach, meaning like, okay, these people are always going to come... If they're not going to come for your Twitter, they're going to come for you on Patreon, then they're going to come for you on PayPal, then they're coming for your bank account. So knowing this is coming... And you have to create workarounds around it in the same way that like right now, if I wanted to publish a book, Amazon is pulling some authors, but I could still distribute that book from my website. So that right. is one workaround. So it, sure, it's not ideal, but I'm not going to be completely 100% silent. So that's another approach. Uh, a third approach is kind of this Trump wrecking ball. And let's create this lack of legitimacy about politics. And also the, the fourth is let's create as much disdain for the corporate press and the universities as possible because once people realize you know, how nasty and pernicious they really are, that's really will lessen their power in the same way that Congress's approval rating being so low really limits their ability to enact major legislation. Maybe that's the group I'm part of. Okay. <laughs> Inadvertently. Sure. I get call the useful a useful idiot oh i don't think you're useful (laughs) that's what i said i'm like useful (laughs) pushing it folks (laughs) maybe an idiot all i I could do is carry water yeah (laughs) do anyone need any water carried you guys seem nice (laughs) nice buzz cuts i guess i'll give you some water what i'm what i'm doing what Uh, sometimes i feel like it's like the bill burr like tomorrow on the blogs like project fantasy laughs about carrying water for nazis Michael Malice, alt-right figure. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Trump wrecking ball method is interesting, too, because I find him hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. And terrifying. Sure. But hilarious a lot yeah. of the time. And like the we miss you, mom and dad, Obama shit creeps me out oh, so yeah. deeply. Oh, yeah. And the, that reverence for the office yes. has always creeped me out. Yes. So there is a part of me that I'm like, good. Yeah, exactly. It kind of takes the power away. Amen, sister. <laughs> like, yeah, I wrote an article about this during the campaign okay, that if you don't have this respect for the president, my biggest issue is it's going to be a lot harder for him to get you to war. 
Yeah. Because if this jerk, I said this on Rogan, it was on Real Clear Politics. If this guy who you think is a clown is saying, hey, we're going to ship your sons and daughters overseas to kill people, you're going to be like, mm, no, Bozo, <laughs> we're not. Whereas, oh, it's the president. Right. He takes his job seriously. I trust his judgment. It's like, wait a minute. We didn't need to do this. That is death. These are deadly, deadly consequences. Yeah, that's inter- That's a really good point because it is. It's easier to push back against somebody that you're not taking all that right. seriously right. and whose words don't really mean as much. I got into a conversation with my cousin about it last night. We were talking about how thought leaders and is he is Trump a thought leader? Now, first Trumpists, I would say he is a thought leader. They do look to him. They do look to him to lead and they believe in him and he has stuck up for people in situations where other people might have turned like Kavanaugh for instance sure he's had their back and he's done some things that are uh they feel you know he's stuck up for their faith and sure and so I feel like they they look to him that way but I don't feel like people are looking I feel like Ben Shapiro, for example, is more of a thought leader than... Why'd you say it in that voice? You just did the Ben Shapiro voice for a second. You're <laughs> did a thought I? leader. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think that people are looking to him for more yes, I, I, leadership? Yes. I mean, absolutely. There's no question you're going to look even on Metro Meadow. You know, you're going to look to... Metro Meadow is more of a thought leader than Obama. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and this is why in the concept that you write, uh, Rachel Maddow is literally... A televangelist. Just because she doesn't have a collar on, she's there talking about uh, sins. She's giving moral parables, mm. and she's calling out who are the sinners and the heretics. Uh, and just because it's you know, I the first time I went to church, I was visiting my friend. You know, I I grew up. I went to yeshiva as a kid, which is like religious Jewish school. And so you know, all the services would be very kind of severe and, and kind of a certain kind of way. And I went to this church, and the sermon, uh, the pastor spoke more about Winnie the Pooh than about jesus and Mm. i was offended even though i'm not a christian i'm like this is a church like talk about (laughs) god and christ and not some christopher some novel about some uh teddy bear that has a relationship with this young boy that you know is questionable in this (laughs) movement um but it's the same kind of thing just because they're not invoking uh, christ these are still moral lessons designed to teach her flock how to behave and they go forth and spread the gospel the next day and i'm not using this as a metaphor Mm. It does feel, I always call it the tenets of woke. You know, yeah. it does feel a bit like if you violate these tenets, you're, you're excommunicated. Yes. Essentially. And you have to be destroyed. Right. Yeah. And the, and the destroying part is very, it's hard to, I was arguing with somebody about this today, just the changing of the meaning of words. Oh yeah. It's a very effective, Orwell talked about this. Yeah, yeah. There was that whole article that came out from the Yale professor who was saying that it was about Pete Buttigieg. Did you see this? And it was the heterosexuality is, oh gosh, what was it? Basically, it was like heterosexuality is the new homosexuality, essentially. And I I, I was just pushing mean? back and saying you can't, when you make people feel crazy by changing the words, and this is coming from the party that's constantly talking about being gaslit, and yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that's not happening from the right as well. well you know what I talk about? Go ahead, finish your Go on, this. go on. No, I, I talk about this in the book, the party calling gaslit. So by your own confession, 
Gaslighting is the idea. It comes from this movie, Rethink My Bergman, yeah. where the husband subtly makes the subtly makes the wife feel that she's insane. Right. Like he switches out the light bulbs, yeah. things like that. So, and the gaslight is the only thing that tethers her to yeah. reality eventually. Right. So the idea is that someone with a straight face is making you feel crazy. Right. So by their own admission, the people who are opposed Trump feel insane. So. I'm going to take you at your word that you feel like a crazy person. Right. And it's a lot easier to say the craziness is coming from the pre- president, but maybe the call's <laughs> coming from inside the house. <laughs> I, I, and maybe if the president has this much effect on your state of sanity, that's also a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to take a quick break so we can talk about our sponsor. Is your woke friend annoying? Have you been canceled? Do you want a blue check and feel you deserve one? Do you watch Dumpster Fire and enjoy all of the catchphrases? Well, you can get all of your merch needs for Fetacy at BridgetFetacy.com. Shirts, hoodies, mugs, and canceled neck gaiters. There's a whole bunch of new stuff and a lot of old goods you probably never even noticed before. We also have beanies sweatshirts, and oft-request capitalism always wins mugs and hoodies. Just go buy some stuff and support your favorite podcast. We'll have walk-ins welcome merch coming soon. That's at BridgetFetasy.com. B-R-I-D-G-E-T-P-H-E-T-A-S-Y.com. I always, I know that like Trump derangement syndrome is a trigger word for a lot of people, but I do think it will end up being in like the DSM. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does seem to, I see it on Twitter too. And I know that for some people, their whole entire brand has been, you know, created out of being the resistance, part sure. of the resistance, being anti Trump. So there's some of it that's probably a bit, it's just for show, but some of it is like, you're, you're not. You're not doing all right, are you? You're not well, no. <laughs> yeah. And to be this fixated on any human being is like being a stalker. There's, mm-hmm. If there's anyone who your tired days about this one person, even when I was doing the book on Kim Jong-il, I promise you I wasn't thinking about Kim Jong-il 24-7. And it would have been fair for me to do so because I'm immersing myself in this culture and I'm writing about this one person. No. So if you go to, if you know, if everything's about, like on dating sites, you go on Tinder, it's like blah, 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 Trump. Like, yeah. There is nothing sexy about talking about Trump. Shut up. Yeah. And although he would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> he loves I mean, it. I mean, that's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> this is something that we've talked about a lot. Um, my friends and I, and I, I'm sure it's come up on the podcast, just how if you're a narcissist like Trump and you believe you are the most powerful and focused on person in the world, and then you become that person. Yeah. You weren't wrong. <laughs> and here's the other thing. This is why I defend you, Rosie O'Donnell. You were right. This is why I defend Rosie O'Donnell. If your bully became the president, you would lose touch with reality also. It's yeah. like, wait a minute. My bully is now in the White House? This is not human, normal. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And somebody just did a whole big thread the other day about how he triggers that for a lot of people, whether they're aware of it or not. Yeah. People who come from abuse people who come from situations where they were raised in narcissism and didn't even realize it people who had um abusers in their life and or bullies because there is that pernicious kind of 
cruelty. Oh, sure. Which is reveled in. Yeah. And that's the area where I'm like, ah, oh, God, I, I really, I can't get on board with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's so fair. mean. It's just the, the mean, the meanness. And it feels like it has infected everyone's brain because I think it's easier for humans to kind of go run with that. Yeah, I think it's important to treat people with kindness and not with malice. But I don't think it comes naturally. And when you look at children, <laughs> yeah. they need to be socialized into being oh, yeah. nice to yeah, each yeah. other. They're mean little shits oh, when yeah, they're they kids. They, oh, yeah. I don't think you come out and you're like, I've seen kids do horribly cruel things. All you got to do is just put some razor blades in those apples at Halloween <laughs> and that kid will have learned his lesson. Trust me. Take take my advice, folks. We get we we learn to be kind. It's important, but I think the minute that and this is one of the problematic issues of having a, a bully is that in some respects he's given everyone permission to be the worst version of themselves possible. Yeah. yeah. And why not? In the yeah. new rules, how are you going to fight? You're right. you it's have to that, fight dirty. It's that whole what's that whole expression? Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna wrestle with pigs, don't wrestle with pigs because you're gonna you're gonna get dirty and the pigs will like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll get all covered in shit and the pigs will like it or something. And I feel like we're all just covered in shit and enjoying it. Listeners, she's speaking <laughs> literally right now. It's this horrific sight. It's horrific. I don't even know where she got this picture from, but it's all over her. I probably got it from like a, a we have these like Southern country sayings on our refrigerator because my roommate's from Dallas and they're like Texas slogans. And I feel like it probably came from there. <laughs> this refrigerator magnet really speaks truth to me. I should look at the fridge more often. It's true. Well-behaved women do seldom make history. <laughs> and that's not a Margaret Thatcher quote, people. One of the ones I love is I, if I'm, I ain't going into a battle of the wits with an unarmed man. Yeah. One of my, the one I have on my fridge is <laughs> life is tough, my darling, but so are you. Mm. That's a good one. So did you go to college? Yeah. Oh, where'd you go? Bucknell. Okay. And what was your major? Business. Okay. And how, how long have you been in the culture punditry game? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, probably like a book came out like 2014, I'd say. Oh, okay. Yeah. And were you always wanting to be a writer or was it just something? That I was always wanting to not have an alarm clock, not have to make small talk and to be able to kind of set my own schedule. Okay. So those were the things I wanted to do. And then what made you interested in your first book? My friend gave me the idea, Justin Esch, who created Bacon Salt, great, great genius guy. And he said, you should do the autobiography of Kim Jong-il. And I'm like, this is perfect because there is no other person where there's the biggest disconnect between brand name, uh, people knew who he was mm -hmm. versus how much they knew about him. Like mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a perfect gap in the market. And it really kind of succeeded beyond my greatest expectations. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I need to read that one too. Yeah. And do you he dies at the end. I... <laughs> <laughs> all my, it's all my books. <laughs> it's a spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler what do you think is the end game for the new right? There's different end games. Some so want, each category has yeah, their... Some want anarchy, an okay. anarchist system. Some, is that what you want? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some want, what happens at the end of anarchy? Happiness. 
Is it though? Yeah. I mean, I feel like anarchy is such a weird thing because then you still have to have someone like lead you out of the yeah. anarchy. No, no, you'll have leadership in anarchy, of course. Like, for, but you and I are having an anarchist relationship right now. Ninety-nine percent of our relationships are anarchist. What does that mean? Meaning we're not here through force or coercion. There's mm-hmm. no one, you know, making us do this. I can, you can get up and leave at any time. I can get up and leave at any time. We're doing this voluntarily, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of human relationships are voluntary human relationships. Uh, and the government, whenever it gets involved is forcing people to do things that they don't want to do and that always takes away from utility and is inherently illegitimate. So that's the basis of anarchism. Other ones want, you know, others are just give up the black pill, so to speak. They think Uh. the, uh, the West is lost and all you could do is kind of you know, mope, I guess, to some extent. Maybe they wouldn't listen to Morrissey per se, but the the Morrissey equivalent. Um, others think, you know, we're going to take back the culture, back, I'm going to say in quotes, and they do want that war in Washington and academia and want to, like, reclaim these things. So, What, what do they want to reclaim? Uh, the idea of, like, Americanism and whatever their variant of it might be and to kind of expel uh, progressivism from our culture. Mm. So these are just different strands. And then there are white nationalists, you know, so there's a very, very different strands of thought. So are the white nationalists the ones who want to take the culture back or are they, are there? They would say so. They would say this is always supposed to have been a white country and, you know, this is what the founding fathers wanted. But are there people who aren't white nationalists who want to take the culture back as well? I would say conservatives as a whole would say we want to take our country back. The point I would say is it was, it was not yours in the way you're thinking. Right. That this has been progressive for the entire modern era and isn't there a balance (laughs) i don't know what that word means in this context balance means submission and it means you know selling out your principles right but and how are you going to make a balance with a fundamentalist faith that wants you destroyed if they're not interested in compromise do you see what i mean Mm -hmm. that's the important thing to realize is that as soon as you for example use four words on twitter they're ready to take you out Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so done forever. How, how do you have balance with this approach and mindset? And I'm, I'm not even being rhetorical. Like, the, But I, so isn't there a balance within each individual? I mean, I still, I might not agree with the progressive agenda. Sure. But that doesn't mean I don't care about individuals who might be marginalized. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and my whole point in this book is that what the conservatives often get wrong or don't understand because conservatives don't really have a good theory of where culture comes from. And I think most conservatives, they stop and think about it, realize that it is marginalized people who create culture, especially in American culture, mm-hmm. and that that's not a coincidence because when you're kind of on the outside looking in, you're going to have quite literally a different perspective than the guy who's in the center. Right. And the the you're going to get the crazies and you're going to get the innovators and they're going to look the same because mm-hmm. when you're in the middle they both look weird to you mm-hmm. and like what is this mm-hmm. um so when you're driving out marginalized people even if it's just marginalized for their intellectual reasons you're also necessarily going to be driving out the creativity who make the world a better place and mm-hmm. this is something that has to be grappled with how do you think they grapple with it and the as as conservatives uh uh i don't think they know what to do And I think one of the best aspects of conservatism and also one of the worst is conservatives are like the ballast that keeps society going, right? You you don't want this every 20-year America is going to be redone in a revolution. You you need some stability. They're the ones who are psychologically – they don't like new things. And right. That's a certain mindset, and that's fine. I'm not judging. but And you need that people to keep things going generation to generation. At the same time, they're the ones who inherently, by virtue of their personality, are going to be fighting change, uh, most of it, uh, because it's just like – 
you know, viscerally. Right. They're going to be like, this is, I might not like this. I don't like it. Now they will never say I'm opposed to change, but they're, they're only comfortable change once it's been processed and put in terms that they themselves understand and that mm-hmm. they themselves understand. Yeah. But do you think. Nor do I want to imply that change is inherently good. But okay. I think conservatives would agree change is inherently necessary, but they don't have all often the capacity for determining what is the good kind of change and what is the bad kind of change because their visceral response is to be, let's stick with what we know. And that's not a bad approach. If you and I are stuck in the wilderness and I say this system's been working for 100 years, this is new, I'm going to go with what works, all things being equal, right. because I know it, it's, even if it's not ideal, it's certainly working so far. This is what actually um, Seth Mandel said in response to something I said today about how I feel like 2020 is becoming this election. And you and I were talking about this in the kitchen of Trump insanity versus the intersectional insanity or the progressive agenda insanity or whatever it might be that, that religion. And I think what the left underestimates is that most people when faced with that are going to choose Trump. And as Seth pointed out, it's because one is something that's essentially just time limited. Yeah. And the other is a fundamental shift in our entire culture. And also what I said to you in the kitchen is they know what Trump looks like. Right. So we've been through this for four years. Maybe in their minds it sucks in many levels. Fine. We don't know what that looks like. So that is a fundamentally conservative approach and not necessarily wrong, which is I know what the devil that you know. I know right. what this looks like. I know I can handle it. I don't know what this looks like. I'm going to hedge my bets. And that's not an unreasonable mindset. No. And I think for this is where... I think I, I'm sorry, one thing. The idea that you're going to pitch, we need to have free colleges, college educations paid for by taxpayers to illegal aliens, that's a hard sell, in my opinion. And I think to m- many Americans who aren't probably on Twitter and aren't exposed to the level of the ideology that we get... Yeah. When they are, they stumble into it. So right. I, I, I did a call for people talking about their experience of being self-censored. The vast majority of my responses came from people on the left. Oh yeah, and ways in which they self-censor. But a lot of the stories were people. Um, one that really stuck out was this woman who was in a mommy group, and she, I don't, it was something about the gender, and. She basically got shamed out of this Facebook oh, yeah. mommy group, but it, I think people are stumbling into these. Oh yeah, the these slight they'll make the mistake or they'll trip over one of the. Oh yeah, and there's a big asymmetry because if a right winger is outspoken, it's much more socially acceptable to shame and punish them for being outspoken. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a progressive's outspoken, they're going to get rewarded and valorized. Mm-hmm. So this asymmetry, which is a function of progressive domination of the culture is a big uh, uh, something that conservatives have to grapple with and how they have to mod- both sides are acting differently in response to rewards and punishments. Oh, can you elaborate on that? Meaning if, if I do X and I'm punished for it and you your team does X, you're rewarded for it, of course you're going to do it more frequently than I do. Right. So with progressives calling people out and being aggressive and 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 kind of getting them fired you're going to you're going to want to do it cuz you get accolades whereas mm-hmm. the conservatives when they do it they do it much less frequently and then the blowback for them is pretty severe and mm-hmm. it, it's it's uh, it's it's much more acceptable to call out someone for being a right winger uh than to call out someone for being a left winger right and unless you're a left winger calling out another left winger correct yeah that's correct and so when i was saying that i feel like part of the reason that i i always say i'm like a canary in the coal mine because i don't necessarily I feel like I'm trying to say beautiful, to the, clean coal, beautiful, <laughs> clean coal. 
I feel like I'm. I love that. So I feel much. like I'm screaming at the left because I I think they're alienating people they need. Yeah. And maybe that's not a bad thing, be, based on your kind of vision of it. But I I don't know. It all seems so corrupt to me now. Everything, I it, guess. It's kind of like the ISIS approach, right? The first people you want to target are the moderate Muslims. Because right. then you're forcing the people to make a choice between my brand of Islam or no religion. And a lot of them are going to be like, all right, I got to have some religion and this is my only choice. Just like with the Trump, you know, and, and the craziness and left being the options. If you force people to make the, the real ideological choice, some of them will make it. Right. Especially if the consequence of not doing so is complete some destruction. Some of them don't have the choice to make it. Correct. So, and, yeah. So I always hear this from people on the left. They're like, you guys always act like you guys, me being on the right now. You guys always act like the one crazy thing that the person on the left said is what everyone on the left believes. Well, why shouldn't we believe that? Based on what I've seen, you destroy anyone who doesn't believe what you believe. And even if they don't believe, they can't speak out. So they're saying you shouldn't blame everyone for that one thing that one person said. Meanwhile, they will blame everyone the right for something no one said. <laughs> Meaning when Trump was talking about Charlottesville, he said there were good people on both sides. And I'm not speaking about the Nazis and white nationalists who should be condemned totally. It was the same sentence. The first thing out of Joe Biden's announcement video is Trump said there were good people on both sides. So no one said what they're claiming. And still this entire population is being painted with this brush. And that is why discourse with this certain specific type of progressives is impossible. Mm, it feels that way to me. Yes. I felt like that was... I was kind of getting into it. You know, it's like, it's like uh, when did you stop beating your wife, right? It's like, why are you still carrying water for Nazis? What do you say to that? Right. Right. Where do you start? Right. Even today in the argument or not argument, the discussion I was having with this person who was pushing back against, they switched the conversation to, well, why are you saying gay marriage is totalitarian? I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying that the left changes meanings of words yes. and that when people... And that makes overnight. people feel crazy overnight, overnight, and it makes people feel crazy, and they're going to pick Trump over that. Yes, and, and you're not seeing this. And here's an example of this: uh, transgender issues. The idea that if you didn't start caring today about <laughs> transgender bathroom, when there are many other transgender issues facing transgender people, suicide rates, violence toward them, mm -hmm. how they're perceived society. Mm -hmm. No, not only do you have to care about transgenderism in general, you have to care about transgender bathrooms because that's what we're all talking about today. And if you had a different opinion 48 hours ago, you're Hitler. This is not a coincidence. And mm -hmm. that is the difference in the approach. And let me give you a Republican example, although there wouldn't be a parallel. Let's suppose Mitt Romney wanted was President Mitt Romney, and they wanted to eliminate the estate tax and death tax. There's many conservative issues, uh, uh, income tax, sales taxes, tariffs, whatever. If all of a sudden, if you're not talking about the estate tax, and, and therefore you're a liberal and you're a pariah, people are like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, There's so many other things on the table. That's not how they operate. We all have to care about the same issue at the same time. Once we snapped our fingers, and if you don't, you have to be destroyed. That is how the cathedral works. Someone recently said the the wall was the purity test on the right. That that was their version of the of the purity test for the people on the right. Is that if you don't believe there should be a wall, you're essentially a never Trumper. Huh? I don't. I don't. Okay. I, but I, I think there's so much. The the book I, in the book, the new right is much broader than Trump. 
Right. There was, I think there is a very big consensus on the new right that Trump is not going to save them. Mm-hmm. One man can only do so much. And Washington is, again, a symptom of a far deeper problem. So mm-hmm. no matter who the president is, they're, they're very, very limited in their capacity to act. So it has to be the universities and uh, the media. So uh, that would be my answer to that. Okay. That's interesting. And where do you, and other than just feeling like, it's funny because on I understand more about you now because online I was like I cannot get a read on what the fuck this guy believes. Awesome, <laughs> like, good, good. I like it. I like I being could, a trickster. Yeah, and this is something I talk about all the time, and it's one of my favorite books. And I, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast many times. Um, Trickster makes this world. Oh, I never heard of this. It's so good. It's by Lewis Hyde, and he talks about the trickster mythology. Oh, I'm gonna get this immediately. It's amazing, and I read it probably every year. But he has this quote in the beginning, and it's all about how trickster is. Oh, it's right here. Hold on, I'll read it because I reference it. So I'm obsessed with trickster mythology, and I think Trump is a trickster. Oh, for sure. 100%. And I think that energy is actually really good for culture, but he talks about how it creates art. Yes, 100%. Wow. Okay, this. Okay. I mean, this book is like very overread. Trickster is at one and the same time creator and destroyer, giver and negator. He who dupes others and who is always duped himself. He knows neither good nor evil, yet he is responsible for both. He possesses no values, moral or social, yet through his actions, all values come into being. Well, I don't know about that. That sounds like a lot of double talk to me. And <laughs> jabber. Uh, I do think tricksterism is the, the spirit of mischief and the enjoying chaos and knowing chaos can often be liberating. Yeah. To I'm, say that a trickster has no values, I don't think it would be fair to say that neither I nor Trump have no values. Mm-hmm. Or, or don't. I, I have values too, yeah. so I don't think... Yeah. But I can see how my can I see this? yeah I can see how my slipperiness in my values, for instance, how I can't really tell whether you're coming or going sometimes. Okay, and with Trump, sometimes you're like, is he serious or is he kidding? With me, I call it a squirreliness that I yeah, have to watch yeah. out for. Oh yeah, and because I'm hyper aware of the ability to dupe yourself, I think that I've I've ended up in situations where I'm like, how the hell did I get here? But it's just kind of that. Self-denial, maybe? And this is one of my reasons I'm an anarchist, because I do not feel comfortable telling any single person, I've got to figure it out, and this is how you have to live your life. Who the hell am I? Right. That's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. And and so many people are like, unless you're perfectly happy, you're going to tell people you've never seen or met how to live a happy life? Yeah. No. No one shut up. Yeah. People ask me all the time about sobriety. I got sober. I use a 12-step program. It's worked for me. I don't think it's for everyone. Of course, yeah. I know a lot of people who have got sober and they've done marijuana maintenance. Sure. I know people who have... It's it's so different and, for every single and, individual. And what drives me crazy is when people are like, oh, the rates of Alcoholic Anonymous getting people sober are similar to the rates of cold turkey. I'm like, wait, wait. So for some people it works and this is a knock? Right. You're telling me there's a disease and for some people this pill cures this life-threatening terminal disease and you're like well it only works 10 percent of the time yeah, this is wonderful that. that's great 10 percent they're saved yeah. how is this an issue for you it's that's a weird thing too the resistance to it i don't understand that at all where, where people are like well it doesn't work all the time okay well <laughs> what does work all the time with addiction show me anything that if works all the for time me, the end yeah who cares if it works for somebody and change their life and and literally now there's like one drunk who's not on the street yeah, it's it's amazing it's it's a weird thing and that that is the i feel this whole situation in which I find myself currently like why am I talking 
Um, <laughs> it's like you're, you're I asking to, what the audience is thinking. I need to. I need to wait. <laughs> Somebody said this in one of my meetings. She said she was talking to her husband, and she's like, "I need to wait." Why am I talking? Yeah. And I was like, that is so perfect. Because like you said, I'll make, I have knee jerk reactions to like headlines or anything sure. because clickbait is, it has that effect on you. But oh, I, don't, I can't comment on, I think the gun violence issue was the first issue maybe that began to kind of crack the cathedral, as you call it, was I was having this emotional reaction to, school shootings sure. as is totally normal of course, of course appropriate yes and we should have that reaction and then i was like i don't know anything about guns yeah. <laughs> i don't know i don't know what the laws are in california i've never i couldn't even load one if yeah. this was years ago <laughs> like i should probably reach out and ask people about this sure. and i didn't know anything and i had all my readers at the time of playboy write me about what they thought should be done and what the issue was and it was so eye-opening and these are gun you know they're gun carrying citizens and I realized just how little I knew when I was ha- out there screaming about this issue yeah. that I knew next to nothing about. Yeah. And I feel like ever since that moment, I've been like, oh, that's actually everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I always say I'm, a, I, I think a, little, I'm a member of the moron majority. <laughs> I think a little humility for most people would go a long way. And one of the big issues with democracy, which I'm opposed to, there's a chapter in the book called The Case Against Democracy, is this idea that everyone should have an opinion about every issue <laughs> and run their mouths. It's like... Most issues, you're going to be uninformed. You're busy. You have a family or you're stupid, you know? I'm not Not surprised about this coming from the guy who's only talking to blue checks. (laughs) I shoot down the the normies too. You're basically an elitist. Yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely an elitist. But the point is, yeah, it's okay for you to say, I don't know. And you know what else? Smart people are ignorant of 99% of the world's knowledge. Mm -hmm. And if I go to a farm, that person might be uneducated. They might be dumber than me. I don't want to use farmers as an example because they're stereotypes, but that person will run the table on me. Oh, yeah. When it comes to the farm, I will be stupider and more ignorant and less educated. Oh. So the idea that like, as Einstein is going to go in every room. There's this question out of the mouth of babes, right? Mm-hmm. The kid will notice something. The five-year-old will notice something the adults haven't. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you're so smart, you're going to have it all figured out. You don't. I promise. This much I know. Yeah, that is the weird thing about... Especially if you're not a blue check. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weird thing about the right and the left that I'm very distrustful of is anyone who's like, I know the answers yeah. and this is true. I'm like... Eah. Is it? Is it? Yeah. What are the how at are, what, at how what do cost? you know? How yeah. are you so certain about and, and, and if you're wrong, you're not paying the cost someone else is, and mm. that's what makes it inherently immoral. So, what do you think works other for if democracy doesn't work? Freedom. What, and what is freedom that? means voluntary associations and living peacefully with other people and letting them live their own lives. Do you believe and, in borders? Uh, you wouldn't really have borders in an anarchist system, but certainly borders are something that kind of are a tricky issue. But don't you think in this system of humans that any uh, tribalism will still just pop up? Sure, but the question is, your door is a border. 
mm-hmm. right? In a sense. So of the course. question is the border. Like Trump. Doesn't Trump say this? Yeah, does he? <laughs> I think he does. Yeah. The, I mean, is the border going to have to be across Texas? Is the border going to have to be, uh, you know, configured along different lines? That That's the issue. But mm-hmm. the idea that everyone has the right to go everywhere is simply false. Mm-hmm. And the idea that everyone has the right to vote is something that is a recent phenomenon. And I love telling this to the left and it, they have apoplexy. And I say the right to bear <laughs> arms has a longer uh, and more central history in American culture and law than the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And they get very upset on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that makes me very happy. Yeah, you seem to enjoy I it. do have too much fun on Twitter. It's and that's fun. part of being a trickster is having fun at life. And I wish I more people had fun at life. It seems they have to get verified first. <laughs> I have I have a lot God, of fun on we Twitter. We must be insufferable. I, mean, I apologize. totally yeah, insufferable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely even even today when uh, I said something, I was like, "Sorry, I'm being so feisty. I drank too much coffee." And then Ben Shapiro's like, "Yeah, you're exactly how you always are." Uh, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm always this annoying." And I am. <laughs> I must be insufferable. I hope, must- you, I hope you told him I'm famous and I've never heard of you. <laughs> no, I'm popular and I've never heard of you. <laughs> That's come on. He set you up for the perfect comeback in perpetuity. I'm popular and never heard of you. <laughs> poor, poor guy. At I, least he owned it. I, that's it was really funny because I made a meme about him because he had a book long ago that was like uh, well, ways to destroy liberals and arguments. Right. Uh-huh. And him sitting with his arms crossed on the cover. And then the headline was from, he like 17. Yeah. yeah last year. <laughs> he was 12. Yeah. And the headline from the hill next to it, I put he was six when he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> but the headline next to it from the hill. It was like, a liberal tear. <laughs> oh, ben. But the headline from The Hill said, Ben Shapiro tells host, I'm popular and no one's heard of you. So having those next to each other, and then people were white knighting for him. Like in my mentions, they were like, really he doesn't go. need that. But the thing is, he he said he got yeah, out. He, he apologized. So who are you running interference for when the guy himself goes, I did the wrong thing and I got owned? Yeah. And he was mad enough to, to admit it. So why are you defending him when he's agreeing with me? Your and mentions- who has a sense of humor? Yeah. Your mentions must be a lot like mine. No. And I think it's a misogyny thing. Oh. I think it's a lot easier to go after a woman and especially in personal terms than to go after a dude. I'm not joking. Yeah, that's probably true. Mine are a a, a thunderdome. Yeah. (laughs) Thunderdome of dumpster (laughs) fires. You thought Katrina was bad. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have no idea. Today someone was saying something to me and I said, it's like, it looks like King's Landing after Danny went mad queen. (laughs) Just like destroyed down there sometimes. But I still think, and again, this is where the self, you know, I was a bleeding heart liberal for a very long time. And I'm just always like, am I hurting people? Am I... Is is it's my constant pu- pulling myself back off the ledge and feeling like I could probably go full mad queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I just uh, I think feels some, so confused. I think some people need to be hurt, and uh, Twitter allows people to engage in really nasty behavior. Oh yeah. And when I I feel very glad clowning them and putting them on it because you know what. You can ask a question now and insult the person later because nine times out of 10, when someone's saying something, it could be that they're just being inarticulate. Right. So you, before you come for someone, really, I unless it's someone who's like uh, has a big name, in which case they have a responsibility to get it right the first time, just give it a second. Yeah. And you You're know what? smart though, it, too. Would you go up to someone in the street and be like, hey, you idiot? I no. mean, you wouldn't. And if you would, okay, you're an ass and I'll shame you for that. Yeah. But I think that it's not I, clever. It's I'm I'm all for aggression if it's clever. That's I see aggressive guys banality. like you and 
and my friends and they love arguing, but you're also really, I hate arguing, but you seem good at, I like shutting down arguments. Yeah. Yeah. And I get anxiety. I was arguing with somebody who comes after me all the time and I was trying to stay on task and, and who was it? Who was it? <laughs> who was it? Who's the enemy? I'll get him. I'll show you. Okay. But I felt I was getting anxiety from it. It gives me Christina just, Huff Summers. <laughs> no. Oh, I love but you showed me her profile. I don't understand. <laughs> um, I seriously was getting, it gives me just anxiety to know that there's this Force, thing going yeah, on yeah. out there and it should, it just, I don't know what I, I see a lot of the stuff that the anarchists hate me, by the way, because well, I made a joke once about, <laughs> I said, Oh, you're an anarchist. <laughs> I said something like, Oh, you're an anarchist. So how long have you been a trust? So what's it like to something comparing anarchists to trust fund babies? Okay. And Oh my God, it was like three days of manifesto. <laughs> that means that you did the right thing. <laughs> From that's beautiful. That's freaking hilarious. That's hilarious. It was, and it wasn't no, like, it, fuck it, you, you're garbage. It was like entire manifesto. Wait, wait, no, it's like, uh, are, oh, you're an anarchist. How big is your trust fund? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Chef's kiss. And they were so angry and they came for me like for days and they're like, I'm voluntarily unemployed. <laughs> Which is something I'd never heard of. And only a trust fund person could be in a position like, yeah. to do. Okay. It was just... Yeah, oh, so they're, they're not too fond of me over there. Oh, good. Uh, and I see the way that there's this new movement that is, I would say, center-left. Okay. And they're vehemently opposed to centrism or anybody like me or James Lindsay. They go after a lot. Anyone in the intellectual dark web. And they just say, basically, we're right, right-wing shit bags. Okay. That... um just can't admit it. They're like, I hate this argument that like, oh, the progressive left went crazy and now I've abandoned all my principles. <laughs> like, well, who's to say I've abandoned all my principles? You still went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can still say you're going crazy right, and not right. abandon my principles. Right. But apparently, I guess there's no... I get surprisingly little heat. It's yeah. It's very weird. Not yet. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm not successful enough. No, it's not that. It's weird. I feel like you take... When you're really over the target, it's like you take the most flack when you're over the target. It was It was like when I asked for that calls for self-censorship, they were trying to shut me down before I even got the emails. Blue check journalists were like, this is ridiculous. This is just another article about Trump's America and how they're being victimized. I don't think that's their voice. <laughs> I think you're doing the Trump's America voice there. That's true. There, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of angry, angry journalists. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is the more, the more like, yeah, there you go. That's the one. I don't think this is, <laughs> this is another article about Trump's America. Yeah. Another article about the persecution of the white man. That was interesting. <laughs> Ever since then, they've really hated me. Oh, okay. That they never loved you to begin with. No. Because if you like someone, you can let them disagree with you. That's true. And you can support them and be like, I don't agree, but I know that they're a good person. So when are you running for president? <laughs> I wasn't born in this country. <laughs> oh, you aren't? No. Where are you born? Soviet Union. God, I knew it. Yeah. Fucking commie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. That's why I compared you to Hippo. <laughs> <laughs> he already knows my ex-husband's <laughs> jokes. Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> So where where were you born? Uh, Ukraine, Lvov. Mm. Mm, nothing. Did you lose family members in Chernobyl? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I tossed the kid <laughs> into the nuclear reactor. <laughs> I wanted the octopus. <laughs> I don't know. My actually, my ex husband's mother. They think that that's why she had cancer was her proximity to the fallout. Oh damn! Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah. So on that note. Yeah. So you can't run for president, not that you'd want to. Correct. Yeah. I feel like you would, though, just to be a dick. Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> if the, if the, I think I, I would. So if if the criterion for getting in the Democratic platform is sixty five thousand donors and one percent in the polls, I think I'd be able to pull that off. And then it would be the mother of all shitstorms. I think so. Yeah. I have questions for you. Oh, from the readers. Yep. From the plebs. How many do you have? Okay, you Just got, two. Okay. Oh, these are people sent in from Twitter or whatever before yeah. they knew I was here. Okay. One is what, which constitutional amendments would you repeal? Uh, I'm, I don't believe in the constitution. Uh, which them. are the worst of them? Uh, the worst is direct election of senators. Uh, the, no, no. The biggest one would be income tax. Number one. I think that would by far be the biggest one. And, and then, then the Fourth Amendment. I want you to be able to quarter soldiers against your will. <laughs> <laughs> or is that the third? Whichever one that is. That one really needs to be. No, it would by, by far be income tax. And what made him decide to troll everyone as a grammar Jew? Oh, okay. As opposed to grammar Nazi. Yeah. Um, there is a girl named Eliza Orleans who was on Survivor and now she's on Amazing Race. Hi, hi, hi to Eliza. And she She's would probably always, not listening to this. She is. She, she thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, and it'll, get, like it'll get back to her. So she would always correct people with when they misspelled your with asterisk Y-O-U-R. Yeah. And which drove me crazy because if someone is uneducated, that doesn't mean they're unintelligent. Mm-hmm. Right? So if someone doesn't know how to spell correctly, they might still have great ideas mm-hmm. or notice something that you haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. And I was a spelling bee champion. So this bothered me. Of so then I, were. right. Uh, yeah, of course. So then so I started <laughs> writing you're welcome on purpose. Why are you are? And now it's all in caps and with redundant quotation marks around the name of the show, just because people who are marginally intelligent will see it, perceive it as a mistake and offer a correction. And in fact, just today, Ben Howe, when you wrote the name of my show, felt the need to jump in and be like apostry while you are E and you go, uh, you're not familiar with the, with his brand. He's like, Oh, I guess I'm not. It's like, Ben, if you've taken one second or you could have just left it alone, you wouldn't have to be clowned. And now I got the screen cap and it's on my Twitter and it says, Imagine being this person. So thank you, Mr. Howe. What's your show about? Uh, I got an interview show, you're welcome, which is oh. once a week and um And I haven't been on it. You're mm-hmm. not in New York. I'm coming. You're on? You're welcome. I'm when just it, kidding. And uh, Nightshade is on four days a week. That's my like daily show. Oh, cool. Yeah. For Compound Media. Do you just do it like, is it just you? I don't It's just me. It's half hour, it's half hour straight. Yeah. My podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, how <laughs> dare you, sir? <laughs> Have you no decency? Someone said to me today about my podcast, is there a way to just mute you? <laughs> and I like my family's been trying to do this for years. One of my favorite like <laughs> memes is a screen cap of someone Googling, how do I delete someone else's tweet? <laughs> when you use that as a reply, I think that is so funny. Where can we find you? On Twitter, Michael Malice. Are you mostly on Twitter? Yeah, most on Twitter. Yeah, I'm too. on Insta's Michael Malice, Facebook's Michael Malice, um, and the books that you write on Amazon and whatever books are sold. They're not sold anywhere else anymore. Well, I, wherever books are sold, I said. I'm kidding. Barnes and Noble. They're not sold anywhere. It's only Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. 
As yeah. the future Mrs. Bezos, I'm doing my job. <laughs> the once in future, yeah. <laughs> the future Mrs. X Bezos, number two. And their podcast is Your Welcome. Yeah. And then, that's digital. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on through. I, this was a lot of fun. It was fun. Yeah. I'll have to do it again yeah, when yeah. I'm in New York. Everybody, follow Michael, please, because he is hilarious. And now you know. Yatusabe. You're inside the mind. And get the book. <laughs> And someone explain it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. It's time for the weekly check-in with Bridget and Cousin Maggie. I have nothing to offer the world. (laughs) The nihilism is set in. Both of us are waiting for the other person to start talking. (laughs) (laughs) We're just staring at each other. I refuse to start. Tell us how you are, Maggie. I'm good. In general, I think. You said the nihilism was setting in. It did today. It was, I don't know why. It was It was definitely a what's it all for kind of day. Mm-hmm. But yesterday I had my football playoffs. Ooh. The, the intramural team that I'm on. And that was fun. We, we lost our first game. So we didn't even make it to the finals. But can you tell people how important that is in your life? Because P- I get... The question for men all the time, how do I, I don't know how to meet people in real life. And Uh, I think joining one of these. Oh, it's, I mean, I think I had three friends (laughs) before I, before I joined this team. When I first was living in Los Angeles for about the first three years and I was waitressing and that's an easy way to meet people. So I definitely had some friends in the interest in the waitressing industry, but like you and then a couple of really close friends of people who I had met here. And one of my friends, well, Aaron, who, who was on, on the, the podcast, podcast. Mm-hmm. and his wife, carried on, uh, they decided to join a league that was just kind of forming out here and they started a team. So I joined their team and I've been playing now for, I think it's been six years. Yeah, it's been over five. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I have a huge, enormous group of friends. <laughs> you were in Italy for a wedding. Yeah, she well, was in, not even for like, a wedding for a fortieth birthday, and like somewhere for a wedding, Seattle or uh, somewhere. Yeah, Seattle for a wedding, yeah. and yeah, I, I just, it's been amazing. It's, I would definitely, even if I moved back to my hometown where I know a ton of people, the first thing I would do is join some sort of league. Yeah. I think it's the best way to meet people. Not, but like actually really real awesome people. Yeah. You kind of have to find the right sport. Like in our league, I don't know. It's just the football people seem to be the most fun and kind of people who go out together as a group and, right. and you know, are more sociable together. So I think it depends on the sport maybe, but it's been amazing and it's so fun. It's two hand touch. I mean, it's co-ed two hand touch, but we play it's, there are rules. We have refs. It gets competitive. Mm hmm. And it's so Maggie fun. broke her pinky, her I broke, I ring broke finger. My finger, and had to have surgery on it. And then was like, "Can I still play football?" And my doctor was like, <laughs> "He's like, well, I'm not going to tell you no, but I do get a lot of business from football players. Yeah, <laughs> touch football, touch football. A lot of people. There are injuries. A lot. It depends on how hard you go too. I yeah. mean, I've been playing now. Everyone's gotten older. The same, the group that I've been playing with, and and people are just kind of like, yeah, maybe a few years ago I would have jumped for that ball, and now it's like, okay, I'm not gonna <laughs> risk colliding with someone midair, right? So it just depends, I think, on how hard you go. There are some twenty-something people who really just 
go for it. And you have to have a certain element of like body control. There are people out there who are, who are more dangerous players than others. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be careful, especially. I feel like just, I would like, just be injured all the time. There were some injuries that, at, at the playoffs because everyone's going hard, but like a couple people collided and that's, uh, yeah, but they do actually, actually people are probably more careful around the like, ladies, espe- the ladies, especially the smaller ones. Cause no, like six foot three guy wants to take out some tiny girl and then be that guy. So, yeah. you know, the, people do in general try and be careful and, it's just so fun. Like, it's just such a great, I've met so many fabulous people and a lot of my closest friends all through. It seems like it. All through football. It so. just seems, I get this question. It's maybe one of my most asked questions. And I think, and mm-hmm. I've met people at my little writer's block where, where I go do writing. Mm-hmm. I think anywhere where you have a hobby and there's a community of people mm-hmm. in real life that you can find. Right. It's such a, easy way to start branching out and putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation where you have to socialize and talk and right, right. be out and not behind a screen. And you have to be okay with not being good at first. I mean, yeah. a, a lot of people who I play with are, are like badass now yeah. and they started and they weren't great, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I know I've certainly gotten better. It's just, you have to be willing to kind of put yourself out there a little bit, but it's definitely a lesson I learned living in LA is if I ever move anywhere else, I will definitely join some sort of sports intramural sports team. It's just probably one of the best ways to meet fun, like-minded people in a new place, in a new city. That's cool. Yeah. Maybe I should join one. And we play for charity. Fun. Yeah. And is it, is it expensive? No, it's like 60 bucks a season. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, And we play, we play year round. So it's like four, four. Oh, seasons. wow. That's great. Yeah. So, but that we live in LA, so we get to play year round. Yeah. That's cheap though. Yeah. For like a year round activity. Well, we, once so, a so week. It's four, 60 bucks a quarter. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's no, still not bad. Yeah. No, it's not bad at all. It's definitely affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, so we had our playoffs yesterday and that was fun. You just, and at the very least, there are definitely days where I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I'm not feeling it. And I always know, just go. Like, cause yeah. once I show up, I get to like run around in the sun for an hour with my friends and play. And sometimes people get all, you know, ag- aggro about the rules or this or that, or have a bad game. But in general, everyone's there to have fun. And, and then you guys all go out after. And then we all go out and drink afterwards. And at the, by the time our podcast launch, hopefully the Bruins will be the Stanley Cup final champions. Yes. And a lot of people are going to hate us for, for saying that, for being Bruins fans. But I hey, don't care. We're from the East Coast. We make no apologies. <laughs> I saw, yeah. Someone said last night, yesterday to me, oh, like New England needs to win another championship. <laughs> I said, yes, we do. Yes. It's just never. Tom Brady was quoted the other day as being like, Oh, yeah, here are my six Super Bowl rings. It's like, which one's your favorite, Tom? And he's like, the next one. <laughs> God, I love that guy. He just trolls everyone. I know. With his MAGA hat. I mean, oh, Tom Brady. Seriously. I would make him my next my next carrot to motivate me, but he's a little bit out of my league. I know. He's so happily married, too. I know. They have a supermodel. Ridiculous. They're perfect together. Yeah. So what's been going on with you? You know, just the same old, same old trying to get out of my way and stay off Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to start like, I'm going to have to hire someone to take my phone every night at 11 and return it to me the next day at 11. Seriously. I was, so I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to call myself out and check in. I'm going to tell on myself. Oh, yes. Well, I'll just put it out there. If anyone sees me tweeting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to run into, well, you're going to be like, why did I ever do this? (laughs) I need any time I tweet before the hours of 1130 Pacific Standard Time, except for the window of 8 to 830 a.m. my time <laughs> to yell at me and scold me and shame me and like, tell me get to get back to work. Bridget. Yes. No. So I'm trying my. Uh, it's so hard being your own boss, and mm-hmm. I'm not whining about it at all. Mm-hmm. I love it. I've built my life this way. I've always, every choice I've made has been in the effort to be as free as I can possibly be. And now I'm a little too free. No. And <laughs> I am, I've been trying to wrangle my schedule since I was like 19 mm-hmm. and drawing charts and graphs and my perfect schedule. And, if I wake up at 6 a.m. and get a good start on the day, it's going to be a montage. <laughs> every day will be a montage. I want every day to look like a montage. Uh-huh. And I also wish I was a robot all the time. Uh-huh. And I am incredibly bad at being my own boss. But you're those Three hours in the morning for you are prime writing time. Basically. Yeah, it's just when my brain is the most focused. So I, so I should capitalize on them, mm-hmm. and I squander them tweeting eighty-five <laughs> to ninety percent of the time. <laughs> because Twitter is so much fun. I wish I was one of those people that hated Twitter like that everyone else apparently does and says constantly, even though I think they're lying. But they are like, oh, I hate this place and all these people and every one of you. And I wish I never had to be here. And I love Twitter. (laughs) I could spend easily all day on Twitter and have done it and love it and Uh have so much fun and like the people. And when I'm getting mobbed, I'll step away. But for the most part, I find it very amusing. And you get great joy out of it. And then there are times where it's not fun, Uh like mass shooting Twitter or abortion Twitter. Pylon Twitter. Or when I'm getting piled on Twitter, but even sometimes that's hilarious. But generally it's news events, terrorist yeah, Twitter yeah. is not great, that you just don't go on, mm-hmm. you know, where levity is kind of looked down upon. But you're trying to get into a morning routine where you capitalize on your three hours of writing time. And it was supposed to start my new program. <laughs> Today. Today. This morning. <laughs> And I went online and I was like, oh, someone's been tweeting. (laughs) And Maggie's like, I see you haven't been using your program at all. This is Monday. And to be fair, I woke up with a headache, which doesn't really excuse my behavior at all. No, but that is the worst. I hate that. And I'm the worst person ever with headaches. I'm like the biggest. It's the thing that I'm the biggest baby about. And thank goodness I don't get migraines because I would be insufferable. Mm -hmm. I get like a mild headache. And I'm like, I can't think. My brain. (laughs) (laughs) But yet I can tweet. (laughs) I still have enough brain power to tweet. You'll be tweeting on your deathbed. I hope I live tweet my death. (laughs) Oh, God.
if I'm like stuck she died under the doing r- what she loved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm either gonna die in a car crash tweeting, or I'm gonna die like tweeting as I'm buried under the rubble after an earthquake. Like, well, guys, it's been fun. I think I, I don't think they're gonna find me in time. <laughs> Once again, we go to a dark place. <laughs> Every time we try so hard. I do love it so much. It's such, such a problem. Well, tomorrow's a new day, Bridget. Tomorrow's a new day. So no, set yourself up for your morning routine tomorrow. And it starts with tonight. You have to write down your schedule for the day. Tomorrow. And we've been, so we've been also working on getting a schedule for Patreon and being consistent right patreon is no longer just me now it's back to being fetacy.com mm-hmm. with the old school and so we're kind of resurrecting the company on patreon first which it has been anyway right and that's been fun i like doing all the audio on there mm-hmm. and all the behind the scenes and the old stories from the original fetacy 1.0 yeah that we're releasing as throwback thursday posts yeah so that's fun and there's lots of content and if you guys like this podcast there's tons of extra stuff in fantasy land i really liked your writing prompt too that you did the other day about your name because that was the one i was like you need to write about this one you need to write about this one because that i want to see what you have to say those damn irish people you're getting back into your writing prompts i know i will catch up i i know i'm gonna go psycho soon with the writing because it's been a little bit of a lull so yeah so, guys, subscribe to Patreon. I should probably promote it here. I don't know why I don't. Uh, probably because I'm an idiot. Subscribe to the Patreon. I think it's, you can find it under Bridget Fetacy. It's under, no, you can't search for it because it's 18 plus. Oh, that's right. So, so you have to go to your Just Twitter go to page. my Twitter and link through. It's in my, it's right under my bio. And you can email us, Watkins, welcome questions at gmail.com. Maggie and I have also started doing a mailbag. And so we're going to take some questions from our listeners and post them on Patreon, but we'll open them up for people. And we're also going to do a Watkins Welcome mailbag episode at some point, but Mm -hmm. we're taking more of those questions and kind of doing one-offs every week on Patreon as well. And check out... I forgot what I was going to say. Nothing, I guess. But check out nothing keep bridget on task on twitter apparently she wants you to criticize the hell out of her <laughs> when she's online when she shouldn't if be. you see me <laughs> online before 11 i i'm allowing myself a half an hour i don't know that might be a mistake i have to there's too much going on in the morning yeah okay you have to check in yeah but then what if you get pulled down a rabbit hole then you i get pulled pull down your... every time it yeah. happened to me today so but i didn't put a timer on mm-hmm Okay. That's the trick. All right. Well, let's let's see how it goes tomorrow. Tomorrow I try again. <laughs> <laughs> this is like an addict trying to moderate their heroin use. Which we like saying a half an hour might not work. You might have to just be cold turkey. In Look, the morning, by Thursday but... I might have this down pat. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Oh, and before we go, I wanted to say thank you to John Buchanus. I hope I'm saying that right, John. I know I asked you to pronounce your last name for me, Buchanus. Uh, he is from audio. He has a business, Audio Editing Solutions, and he has gotten in touch and is helping us improve our audio quality for this podcast. So hopefully things are sounding much more rich and wonderful to you right now. <laughs> Does it have deep tones and subtle, rich flavors? And 
we are going to try and go back to and clean up some of the older ones so that everything's uniformly audioly spectacular. But John has very graciously donated his time and expertise to us. Yeah. To help us improve. That's really nice. And we're just, you know, we're the RG experience (laughs) figuring this out as we go. (laughs) Bootstrapping our way up in the American way. That's right. Just two... Two little girls wandering around. Morons. With their heads up there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you want to donate to Patreon? (laughs) It's totally going to be our marketing. We're only going to disappoint you. Yeah. That's your freaking motto on Twitter. Well, we're only going to disappoint you. I like how people just email. They're like, you know, your sound quality could be better. Like, really? You don't say. <laughs> We'd like to thank our sponsor this week, BridgetFetacy.com. <laughs> I feel like Kanye right now. <laughs> Tune in next week for another riveting episode that will change your life, help you get out of your own way, and solve all the world's problems. I want to thank our composer, Jared Elias, my co-producer and cousin, Maggie, and all of you out there listening. This has been Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Fettesy. I'm Bridget Fettesy, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dumbest one. <laughs>